Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. We have multiple locations, including an online service found at gethope.tv. If you're not from the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina or near our Agape campus in Haiti, we'd love to still have you be a part of what Hope is up to through our online services. If you do live in our physical area, go to our website at gethope.net to check out where our campuses are located and our service times. Please like and share this with your friends or family. We are so glad you stopped by. We're in the third week of our series that we're calling Origin Story. And this week we have come to the book of Nehemiah. And I know what some of you are thinking, you're thinking this. Okay, Mike, great book, love Nehemiah, textbook for leadership. Why in the world did we have a commercial from a Chevy truck commercial to set up Nehemiah? Well, you know, the other day, I have to tell you how these things happen. I mean, this is a God thing, right? I'm in my backyard pulling weeds, okay? And as I'm pulling weeds, I've got some speakers outside and I'm, I'm listening to classic rock because that's really the only music ordained by God. So I'm listening, to, I'm listening to classic rock, which my neighbors later let me know was too loud, but I'm listening to it and Bob Seger comes on and I have no idea he is actually a Christian and has written a song about Nehemiah. It was the weirdest thing in the world. And I'm hearing phrases because I've heard this song a lot, but I guess maybe because I'm studying the book I'd never heard before, but I don't know if you picked up some of them. My hands were steady, my eyes were clear and bright, my walk had purpose, my steps were quick and light, and I held firmly to what I felt was right, like a rock. I'm telling you, you're gonna see this all through this book. Here's another one. I stood arrow straight, unencumbered by the weight of all these hustlers and their schemes. You're gonna meet the hustlers and you're gonna learn their schemes this week. I stood proud, I stood tall, high above it all. I still believed in my dreams and I love it. Like a rock, I was strong as I could be. Like a rock, nothing ever got to me. So we're looking at the book of Nehemiah and I suppose that probably if I pulled everybody, you would say that you had a favorite Old Testament character. Uh, some of you would say maybe it's David. Uh, maybe it's Moses. Next week, we're gonna look at the life of Esther. Maybe you would say Esther or Deborah. She was a great judge of Israel. Maybe you would say Joshua or Joseph. I doubt that very many of you would pick Nehemiah. And maybe one of the reasons you wouldn't pick him is sometimes he doesn't seem like a very lovable guy. And sometimes he's a little bit controversial. But I gotta be honest with you, Nehemiah, and maybe it's because I'm in a position of leadership, he is one of my favorite characters in the Bible. He's definitely in the top two or three. And I have a few reasons. First of all, you're going to see this guy loved his country. I mean, he was a patriot. You, you wait to see how, how his heart beats for the nation of Israel. And I can relate to that. I am a patriot. I love my country. I don't apologize for that. In fact, I've told Laura since we got married, the one thing I regret in my life is that I did not serve in the military and serve my country that way. But I'm telling you, you're going to see that in Nehemiah. Second, he just wasn't afraid to stand alone. Even if he was the only one saying it, he wasn't afraid to stand, stand alone and say what needed to be said. And I gotta be honest, that is so refreshing in a world that right now you have to watch every word, parse every word, make sure you're politically correct. That would have not been Nehemiah. He would have not done very well in 2020. In fact, uh, I have a pastor friend and he posts stuff that I can't, so I just share it. But anyway, uh, he posted, this is basically what he said. This is how people read the Bible today, judge not. And that's kind of what we've become as Christians. Just don't judge anybody. No balance, not correcting, just, just don't judge anybody. But something's happened to Christianity and I thought that would not have been Nehemiah. 
you're gonna see when he saw an issue when it needed to be dealt with, he was going to deal with it. But this is why I really like Nehemiah. He is a man's man. I'm telling you, this guy is like 100% stud. This is how I envision him, okay? Liam Neeson from Taken, I have a particular set of skills, but with a beard, kind of looking like Aaron Pelsey, right? But he was, I'm telling you, Nehemiah is a man's man, he's a stud, but yet at the very same time, you're gonna see how tender he was in his relationship with God, had this incredible balance. And this is what I'll say about Nehemiah. Nehemiah is the kind of guy, okay, that I would follow through hell carrying a five gallon can of gasoline. Okay, that's how impressed I am with Nehemiah. So we're gonna learn a lot about him this weekend. Let me just begin by giving you a little bit of background uh, about the man himself. It's going to give you some perspective. Here's the first one. Nehemiah was born to parents that were taken into Babylonian captivity. You remember when Nebuchadnezzar came in 586 BC? He carried away some of the Jews to captivity. Nehemiah's parents were in captivity, which means he was born in captivity, which means not only were his parents slaves, Nehemiah was a slave. But as you're gonna see, he refused to be a statistic. He refused to be a product of his environment. He wasn't going to be a victim. He rose above it. In fact, when the book opens, you discover, well, he may be a slave, but he's actually working in the king's palace in the throne room as a cupbearer. And I'll say more about that in a second. But when you're a cupbearer, there's only one person that's closer to the king than you, and that's the queen. And this was basically his job as a cupbearer, okay? Before the king ate anything or drank anything, Nehemiah had to taste it. He had to try the scrambled eggs. He had to take a sip of wine or whatever it was to make sure that it wasn't poisoned. And if, if, it, was, if it was poisoned, well, long live the king, right? But we're gonna need another cupbearer, right? But it says something about his level of trust. It says something about the character of Nehemiah. Now, let me just give you a little review over the last few weeks. We know now 586 BC, Nebuchadnezzar swept in with Babylon, uh, killed off many of the Jewish nation, took the rest in the captivity. There they stayed for 70 years. Remember, God had to put them in timeout. And then Cyrus and Persia overthrows Babylon. He basically inherits the nation of the Jews. He doesn't really want them, doesn't really need them. And so he decides that they can go home. And he lets them go home. We saw that they went back. Some went back under Zerubbabel. 50 years later, some went back under Ezra. But while they're going back and while they're rebuilding the temple and while they're establishing worship, understand, Nehemiah is living in Persia, but his heart is beating for home. His heart is beating for Jerusalem. He's passionate to get back to Jerusalem. He's a patriot. And he can't stop thinking about the fact that Jerusalem is 800 miles away in ruin and here he is in Susa, the capital of Persia, living in the king's palace. Sure, back in Jerusalem, they have a temple. Sure, they've reestablished worship. That's thanks to Ezra and Zerubbabel. We saw that last week. But the city has no wall for protection. The city has been, the, the wall has been destroyed for over 100 years since 586 BC when Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the city and destroyed the wall. And so Nehemiah, he begins to carry the burden, or like in the song, he begins to carry this weight of going back to Jerusalem and being a part of the solution, making sure that that wall is rebuilt around Jerusalem. Let me show it to you. Nehemiah chapter one, verse one. <clears throat> it says, the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, and that's the 20th year of the reign of the king, you'll see that again in just a second. While I was in the citadel of Susa, Han and I, one of my brothers came from Judah with some other men and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. So I can imagine one day Nehemiah's just hanging out and all of a sudden he hears someone speaking Hebrew. 
And I'm sure he recognizes the language because I'm sure his parents taught him the language of Hebrew. And so he hears it and his ears perk up and he says, how are things going? They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Now understand when Nehemiah hears that, his ears perk up and he thinks to himself, that is not good. In fact, not only is that not good, that's, that's just not acceptable. And it's because in those days, remember, a city was uninhabitable until there was a wall of protection built around the city. And then once the wall was built around the city, the people felt safe to move back into the city. So when Nehemiah hears about this need, he immediately begins to feel the burden. He begins to feel the weight of having this wall rebuilt and he begins to talk to God about it. Nehemiah chapter one, verse four. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. So he's moved over this situation. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Now this man, that is a reference. There's a new king in town. Now originally it was Cyrus who let the Jews return back to Jerusalem, but now there's a new king in town. His name is Artaxerxes. And Nehemiah sees Artaxerxes every day. He's in his presence every day. He knows he really doesn't care about the people of Israel. He doesn't care about the God of Israel. He doesn't care about Jerusalem. He doesn't really care whether they have a wall or not. And so it says in Nehemiah chapter two, verse one, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, by the way, that's four months after he began to pray in the month of Kislev. So he's been praying for four months about his desire, his dream to go back to Jerusalem to be a part of the solution of rebuilding the wall. Four months he prays and absolutely nothing happens. Let me ask you a question. You ever found yourself in a situation like that? You saw a need, you felt the need, and you begin to pray, God, let me be the solution. Let me be the answer to that need. A couple of days pass, nothing happens. <laughs> a couple of weeks pass, nothing happens. So you just kind of come to the conclusion, must not be God's will, right? So you stop praying, you just kind of drop it. And I understand that. I remember when God first laid it on my heart to leave California and move back to this area to start Hope Community Church. Laura wasn't quite on board with that yet. In fact, she hated the idea. And so, but she was willing to pray about it. That's the best thing you can ever do is ask somebody, are you at least willing to pray about it? I mean, how do you say no to that, right? So we began to pray about it nine months later. God brought us both to this place where we realized it's what God wanted us to do. See, Nehemiah is in this similar situation. He's praying. He wants to be a part of the solution. Months go by, no answer. Finally, you get to chapter two, verse, uh, chapter two, verse one, and it says, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and I gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look sad when you are not ill. By the way, let me just say this. In this, these days, if you served in the king's court, it was your job to be cheerful and happy whenever you were in the presence of the king. And if you weren't, you often could lose more than your job. You could actually lose your head, right? But this time, instead of being angry, Artaxerxes, he says, Nehemiah, what's going on? You're not normally sad. Why, why, why the long face? And Nehemiah has to be thinking, man, I have been praying for months. And this is the moment I've been praying about. And so he responds in chapter two, verse three, may the king live forever. That's always a good way to start a conversation with the king. Okay. May the king live forever. 
Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Verse four, the king said to me, what is it you want? So what do you want? And I am confident that Nehemiah is thinking, oh, this is it, don't screw it up. You ever, ever been in a situation like that? I remember when we first, when we were in the fire trap on Chapel Hill Road and someone first gave me the name of a Mr. David Martin who had a bunch of acreage, 17 acres on 821 Buck Jones Road and he wanted to give it away to a church and he had been looking for 18 years to find the right church to give it to. Well, after a while you might think, maybe he doesn't really want to give it away, right? But I start hanging out with Mr. Martin. Of course, he doesn't go to our church. He goes to another church. He wants to know all about us, hear our mission, our vision, our values, what our goals are, what we're going to do. And I'll never forget the day. And months had passed when we were sitting in Bob Evans. And he says, so Mike, tell me this. What can I do for you? And this is what I was thinking. Don't screw it up, right? Nehemiah's thinking, don't screw it up. But let me remind you, let me remind you of what Nehemiah has going in his favor. We've been looking at this verse. Let me show it to you. Proverbs 21, verse 1. In the Lord's hand, the king's heart is a stream of water that he channels toward all who please him. You know what that verse says? God can just use anybody. I mean, think about it. We named the subtitle of the series, The Game of Thrones. You just see this all the way through. You see it in, in Cyrus. You, you're going to see it this week in Artaxerxes. You're going to see it next week in Artaxerxes' father, King Xerxes, which is kind of weird. But anyway, Xerxes and Artaxerxes. But you're going to see how God moves, and these are all pagan kings. But he can do whatever he wants to do to accomplish what he wants accomplished. And so it says this in verse 4 of chapter 2. The king said to me, what is it you want? And then I pray to the God of heaven, like one last prayer, right? And I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? By the way, that tells you how much he thought of Nehemiah. It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. By the way, that also tells me not, that not only was Nehemiah spending his time praying, he was also spending his time planning. He was ready. When Artaxerxes had questions, he had answers. But that's not all. Nehemiah realizes that if he's going to get, this is a very dangerous time in history. If he's going to get from Susa, which is located in Persia, 800 miles away to Jerusalem where he wants to rebuild the wall, he is going to go through some very, very dangerous territories. And so he asks in, in, in chapter 2, verse 7, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. So basically, can I have an escort? And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. Now notice this, and because the gracious hand of my God was on me. Where did we hear that recently? Ezra. Three times in Ezra chapter seven, it says that the gracious hand of God was on Ezra. Ezra said, his hand was on me. By the way, I talked about last week in every great movement, in every great movement, there are two styles of leaders, the upfront leader and the behind the scenes leader. Ezra was the behind the scenes leader, okay? Nehemiah is the upfront guy. And they are an incredible duo working together. So it says, the gracious hand of my God was on me. The king granted my request. 
So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king also had sent army officers and a cavalry with me. I mean, that's in, no, but verse 10. When Sanballat, when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. And that provides us with the tension for the rest of the story. I mean, what started out looking so positive, what started out looking so promising, not only does he get permission to go, he gets an escort for his safety to go. And not only that, he gets building supplies to carry with him. Everything is coming up roses until there's the opposition. And the plot thickens as Nehemiah changes hats from being a cupbearer for the king now to being a building super, superintendent. And if you're just reading the book of Nehemiah, chapter two through chapter six, it's the details of the walls being built. You can read those details on your own. But the ultimate moment is in Nehemiah chapter six, verse 15. It says, so the wall was completed on the 25th of Elah in 52 days. In other words, from the time, think about this, the wall has laid burnt and rubble for over a hundred years, but from the time that Nehemiah set out to accomplish the rebuilding of the wall to the time he finished, 52 days. Wow. What were those days like? I'm glad you asked, because I want to show you. During those 52 days, Nehemiah had to deal with incredible opposition. You're going to see that his leadership ability was tested. Let me just show you a few examples of how it was tested. Nehemiah chapter four, verse one, when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore the wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Talking smack, right? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heap of rubbles burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side charmed in and said, hey, what are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down the wall of their stones. So they're sitting there and they're trash talking the Jews as they're trying to rebuild this wall. And so Nehemiah, he prays in chapter four, verse four, hear us our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Let me tell you something, Nehemiah had no problem praying bold prayers. He's like, God, let's me and you, let's take them on. Let's sick them, right? And so Nehemiah, he comes up with a strategy to keep the people working, and yet at the same time, to address the opposition. Chapter four, verse 14. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your home. And the, Nehemiah gets the people all jacked up and they're all rallied around Nehemiah. Verse 16, from that day on, half of my men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were, who were building the wall. Those who had carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. So Nehemiah, he's a godly man, but you know what? He's a realist. He's like, men, women, listen, we got a job to do. We got to build a wall, but we got opposition. We can't just go hide in a cave. We can't be afraid of our shower, of our shadow, or the shower maybe, but I have a two-year-old. But anyway, our two-year-old grandchild, we just got to deal with it. We got to deal with it. We can't spend all of our time hunkered down defending ourselves. We got a job to do. We got a wall 
to build. So he comes up with a plan and some of the people stand guard for a while and the other half work and then maybe they switch shifts. And then those that were carrying the materials, you know, they got a load of two by fours on the shoulder and, you know, and an AK-47 under the other arm, right? But they come up with a plan, they continue to move forward. And let me just give you a leadership principle here. And this is important because every one of us, whether you think of yourself as a leader or not, you are a leader in some sphere of influence. It could be your home, it could be your neighbor, it could be in the marketplace, but you are a leader somewhere in some sphere of influence. So let me give you the principle. There's nothing that will mute opposition like continued progress. Nothing will mute opposition like continued progress. Let me give you a little secret, an inside secret when it comes to doing great things for God. There will always be opposition. Understand that. There will always be the sand ballots. There will always be the Tobias. They're in every culture. They're in every society. They're in every church. They're in every ministry. You will always have opposition. I'll give you one more secret. The opposition will always outweigh and outnumber the Nehemiahs. But Nehemiah, he refused to get sidetracked. He had an objective. He just focused on getting the job done and getting the wall built. And you know what? We've kind of experienced that with the whole virtual learning centers. It seems like there has been nothing but opposition and struggles at every turn. But you know what we're doing? We're keeping our eye on the goal. And as Doug talked about earlier, we're starting a week from Monday. We're going to keep moving forward and moving forward and knocking on doors and praying for God to do the miraculous that only God can do because he can, he can move the streams of the king's hearts, the governor's hearts, the congressman's hearts, all those hearts' hearts, right? He can move them wherever he wants to accomplish his plan, and we're going to continue to move forward. By the way, let me just say something else. A lot of people are asking, Mike, when are you going to open up more services? I mean, you let 500 people come in, the tickets are gone like five minutes, so I want to announce that this has gone very smoothly. If you guys think this has gone smoothly, would you let all the people at home know that this has gone very smoothly? <clears throat> And uh, we are being very safe, but you know what? We want to take baby steps, and we're trying to figure out the test of waters. You know, right now they say only 27% of Americans want to go back to church. Well, guess what? In a church the size of Hope, that's three to 4,000 people. That's a significant number of people, right? So we're trying to find out how many people really want to uh, return to church. We know we can't open kids' cities and nurseries and do those kinds of things, but if we can do it safely with masks and social distancing, how many people? So we have decided, because Thursday night has been such a huge success, that on Sunday, September the 30th, we're gonna open a 9.30 service at our Apex campus. And again, it will be by tickets, it will be by mask, it will be social distancing, and it's, it's gonna just, go, and, and we're gonna see, we're gonna see how many people are interested, and if enough people are interested, and if those tickets go in five minutes and the Thursday night keeps filling up, then we'll launch a service in Morrisville and we'll figure things out and then we'll come back to Raleigh on a Sunday morning, we'll figure things out. We're gonna do it slowly, we're gonna take our time, we're gonna make sure it's safe, but there's always going to be opposition. But let me just say this, in the meantime, so many of you, probably 95% of you, 99% of you, are watching online every week and I wanna just encourage you, uh, I know it was kind of a novelty and exciting when it started, but after a while, you know, you forget, you, if you're like me, you don't even remember what day it is. Was it church day? No, honey, it's Wednesday. You know, and so, so let me just encourage you, set aside the time around a church service, whether it be Saturday afternoon, 4, 15, and 6, Sunday morning, 9, 30, 11, 15, 4, and 5, 30 on Sunday afternoon, and sit down at those times and enjoy the service together. One of the things that Laura and I have done during all this mess is most weekends we have had people in our home. 
And we'll get two or three couples or a few neighbors or whatever. And sometimes on Sunday morning, they come for brunch at 10 o'clock and we eat brunch and hang out and watch the 1115 service. Watch myself preach. Very, very scary. But anyway, <clears throat> sometimes on Saturday afternoon, they'll come over, watch the 415 service. We'll barbecue some steaks afterwards and hang out for a little while. But I'm just saying, it will make it so much more like church. And I got to tell you, there's been some times when we've been doing that and God has shown up. And it's just, I'll never forget one, one week we were doing this. And when we finished, I just, we just finished the message that I preached. It was one of the 10 commandments. And one of the guys sitting in my living room just broke into tears. And he said, I've got anger in my life. I haven't dealt with. And right there, man, we just had a revival break. I was just a big prayer session in my living room, but do that. And not only that, for those of you who have kids and families, uh, go to the parenthub.net. There's curriculum for kids, students, uh, uh, special modifications. If you have children with special needs, there are great resources there for parenting. Parenting, as a side note, uh, I, uh, middle school and high school small groups are kicking off this week. And you can go to the Parent Hub. You can get all of that information. But, but, but understand, as we get back to our story, whenever you try to do anything, and I'm sure that even trying to open another service will get pushed back. But whenever you try to do something, there is going to be opposition. But in the story of Nehemiah, in spite of the opposition, they're like, well, we just got to keep moving forward. They continue to make progress on the wall. So the enemy's like, well, that didn't work. The bullying approach, that didn't work. Making fun of them, that didn't work. We got to come up with another scheme. So they come up with a brand new one. And it says in chapter six, verse one, when word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it. I mean, it was a fine looking wall, right? Though up to that time, I had not set the doors and the gates. Verse two, Sanballat and Geshem sent me these mes this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of, oh no. I mean, if you ever watch Saturday Night Live, you'll get that. But anyway, <clears throat> on the plain of, oh no. So the bullying doesn't work. And they're sitting around thinking, we got to come up with something to slow down this progress. I mean, at least they don't have the gates up. What can we do? And somebody said, you know what? Let's have a summit. Let's get them together. Let's just talk together, get to know one another. And it's a very, very subtle invitation. I'm sure it was something like this. You guys have been working so hard. You need a break. Let's go up to the plane of Ono. By the way, I checked the Hebrew on that. It means Las Vegas. Okay, so let's go, let's go to Las Vegas. It's gorgeous there this time of year. We'll sit out by the pool. We'll smoke some cigars. We'll get to know each other better because the better we know each other, the more we trust each other. And we know there's tension and disagreement, but I bet if we talk about this long enough, we can finally come find some common ground, some, some middle ground. Let's just go talk about it. But you'll notice how Nehemiah responds in verse three. I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. No, thank you. By the way, if you're going to handle opposition, you're going to have to learn to say no. And there are going to be times when you're going to have to learn to ignore your critics or you will definitely be intimidated by them. And I'll just be honest with you. That's hard for me. I've told you before. And when you take strength finder, one of my top strengths is harmony. I really do want everybody to get along. I pastor a church of thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And I actually think everybody can be happy and I can make everybody happy. And I'm reminded almost 15 times a day. That's not a reality, but I keep thinking maybe we can make people happy. But there are sometimes that people come to hope and it's exciting. We have this incredible music and all this stuff and they think they like it, but then they find out that we actually teach the Bible. And sometimes that really bothers them because they don't really believe that we believe that all the Bible's inspired by God. And so when you teach it, that kind of rubs up against them. So they get angry about that and you try to calm them down. Then they get angry about something else. And then finally, there are those times where I just have to say, I really like you. You seem like a cool person, but you probably should go somewhere else. 
you probably should find another church. And I wish him Godspeed. But see, what I'm thinking inside is, and if you find that perfect church you're looking for, don't join it. You're going to screw it up. You're going to screw it up. Because everybody thinks that perfect church is out there. But see, you got to understand, sometimes you just have to, listen, the word of God divides. And if you teach the word of God, it's going to separate people. And if that's the case, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. But Nehemiah, he never lost focus. Look what it says in verse four. Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Thanks, but no thanks. So the whole summit strategy, that doesn't work. So they come up with another tactic. They'll say, let's attack his character. Nehemiah chapter six, verse five. Then the fifth time, so they wanted, they're still trying for the summit, Sanballat sent his aid to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true. Okay, this is your, if you have a Bible, write in the margin, first case of fake news. It's right here. Geshem says it's true. That you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now, this report will get back to the king. In other words, this is going to get back to Artaxerxes that you didn't come here to build a wall, you came here to be king. So come, let us meet together. So what are they doing? They're questioning Nehemiah's motive. They're questioning his integrity. They're saying, you, you just wanna be king. That's really what's going on. You're not trying to build a wall, Nehemiah. You're trying to build a kingdom. Now, we all know that information is always powerful, especially when there's a scandalous slant to it. And in this case, it's scandalous. And so literally there's this public letter designed to ruin Nehemiah's reputation. He's not intimidated, verse eight. I sent them this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are making it up in your head. Liar, liar, pants on fire. That's basically what he's saying. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak. In other words, if we can drag this out long enough, it will not be completed. If we can drag this out, they're going to get discouraged. They're going to stop building the wall. But the slander, it doesn't threaten Nehemiah. It says in verse 10, one day I went to the house of Shimei. So they got to come up with a whole new plan. The son of Deliah, the son of really hard word, who was shut in at his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple. Let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night they are coming to kill you. Now that's intimidating. I mean, if you're Nehemiah, th things just got really real, right? But notice Nehemiah's response, verse 11. I said, should a man like me run away? Or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. Remember the words of the song, like a rock. Unencumbered by the weight of all these hustlers and their schemes. I'm not giving them a time of day. By the way, have you ever actually really been threatened? I mean, really been threatened. I was in California and after church one week, a guy who just retired as a CEO of a big company, he came up to me and said, hey, I'd love for you to come to my house tomorrow night. I said, sure. And I said, um, what time? He says, seven. Pull in, blow the horn to your car. I will open the garage door. You pull in the garage and I will shut the door. And I'm like, well, that's kind of weird. I said, why? He says, I'll tell you tomorrow night. So I think about this all day Monday because I'm a worrier, right? So we go, I blow the horn, the garage door goes up. I go in, the garage door goes down. I go down, I sit, his wife brings me a cup of tea or something. And he says, okay, this is what's going on. He had a son, actually he was a doctor. He was a professional, but he had, he had some mental issues. He was unstable. He said, I just want you to know he's looking for someone to put a bomb in your car that will blow it up when you start your car. I'm like, why? He said, it really has nothing to do with you. And it's not just you, it's a counselor that he's been going to. 
Uh, and it had to do with a previous pastor, but that pastor was gone. I was the new guy in town. So he was looking for someone to blow my car up. Well, that's kind of scary. So I go to the police department. I say, hey, this guy wants to blow my car up. And they're saying, sorry. I mean, do you have a letter? Do you have a recording? Nope. It's just his parents told us, well, we need more than that. But we will patrol your house. And for about six months, he kept making threats to other people about me and stuff like that. And we live constantly. Uh, in fact, I remember seeing on an old TV show one time, hey, if you could put a pebble on your hood in case somebody raised your hood and if the pebble wasn't there, there might be a bomb in your car. You know what I'm saying? And I was looking under my car and you live with that constant threat and the kids were little and all these things going on. But there's something about it. And finally, he, he actually did get put away in a mental hospital. But there was living with that threat. And even when I came to Hope, you know, uh, one week, and you may wonder why we have security. I had preached all weekends. And after the last service, I was standing out in the atrium. And I noticed a guy had been standing close to I just realized, like, oh, yeah, you've been kind of hanging around all weekend. And I finally said, I'm so sorry. You must want to talk to me about something. He says, no. He said, I'm, I'm assigned to protect you this weekend. Well, the funny thing, he was only about this big. But anyway, uh, <clears throat> and we still kid about that. But uh, he said, I'm assigned to protect you this weekend. And I said, why? And he said, somebody caught in the threat, said they were going to shoot you this week. And I'm like, that would have been nice to know. <laughs> and this is no lie. They said, we didn't want it to distract you from giving your message. I'm like, great, great. I, I, that's the last thing we want to happen, right? And so I look at him and I say, I got to be honest. I wouldn't take a bullet for me. Would you take a bullet for me? And he says, absolutely. And I looked at him. I said, I hope they shoot low. Yeah, but... but <laughs> There's just something about knowing that people would like to take your life, right? Nehemiah's like, you don't scare me. You don't scare me. I'm doing exactly what God wants me to do. Verse 16, when all our enemies heard about this, look at this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done, look at this, with the help of our God. So even in all of this opposition, you know what people were witnessing? There's a God at work behind the nation of Israel. So understand, Nehemiah maintained the objective. The wall was built. And think about this, God. The way he handled it, God, not Nehemiah, got the credit. And that's how it's supposed to be when God allows you to do great things. He gets the credit. And so the wall is built, but it hasn't been dedicated. And everything in the Old Testament has to be dedicated, right? So Nehemiah gathers some people together in the courtyard and we saw last week he brought Ezra in and he opened the law of God and he read from the scriptures and then when he finished, Nehemiah prays in chapter nine and then it says they, they had a big worship service. A worship service broke out and they sang and rejoiced but I, I think it's an interesting verse. It says in Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 43, the sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. It doesn't say the singing could be heard far away. The joy could be heard far away the joy of what God could do and who God was. And it's because the wall had been, it, been built and the enemy had been silenced. And you might think, well, good gracious, this nation of Israel, they've been so screwed up. By now, I'm sure they're getting their act together, right? Wrong again. Remember what I taught you a few weeks ago when I was talking about why is there pain and suffering in the world? And, and I had a principle, I said, God is good, mankind isn't. Well, you've seen in the story of First and Second Kings and Ezra and Nehemiah, and you're going to see it in Esther, that God was patient for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And even though they wouldn't be, they wouldn't obey. God was good even when Israel wasn't. But he put them into captivity and he brought them out. And now he sent them back home. And they have a new temple and a new city and they have a new wall and maybe a fresh start and you would think now they're going to get it right. But if you read, you'll see that the people revert right back to the same old behavior that led them into captivity to start with. For example, one of the things that they were ignoring was they were ignoring the Sabbath. 
And you may remember the Ten Commandments. That was a big, big deal to God. So let me just show you how seriously Nehemiah took disobedience. You'll love this verse. Nehemiah 13, verse 25. I rebuked them and called curses down on them. I beat some of the men and pulled out their hair. And I read that and I thought, that can't be what that says. So I looked at the word that's translated from the Hebrew to pull out their hair. And this is what it literally means, to make bald and polish. You know what that means? Not only did he pull out their hair, he gave them a noogie. You ever give your little brother a noogie? You take put him in the head, like, can you imagine Nehemiah doing that? I told you he was a controversial leader, right? But he did not put up with disobedience. He was sensitive, he was tender when he came to his devotion with God, but he was tough as nails when it came to compromise. Three quick lessons from the book of Nehemiah. Here's the first one. Fixing problems begins with honest observation. If your marriage is a disaster, it will only get better when you acknowledge our marriage is a disaster. If your kids are a disaster, change will begin to happen when as parents you realize, wow, we got to work on our parenting skills and techniques. If you can't hold a job, you know, at some point you have to quit blaming it on all the bad bosses and say there's one common denominator in every place I go to work, me, and take responsibility. Fixing problems begins with honest observation. And this is what I love about Nehemiah. No matter what was going on, he never lost his ability to see things as they really were. And as he, if, he, if he detected an issue or a problem, he just kind of took it on. He dealt with it. Let me share your principle here. I have never heard of a long-standing wrong quickly and easily corrected. That just doesn't happen. You didn't get into your situation overnight. You're probably not going to get out of your situation overnight. It's going to take time and usually a struggle. And as we think about what's going on in our culture with social injustice and racial inequality, that's gonna be the case as we continue this battle. I'll just tell you, don't kid yourself. Slogans, T-shirts aren't gonna fix racial inequality. You know why it's gonna take time? Because for it really to happen, God has to change the heart and the core of people. And that doesn't happen overnight. So we need to pray about these things. We need to pray about our nation. We need to pray for healing. We need to pray for unity. We need to pray for justice. We need to pray all of these things. But I'm telling you, don't expect it to happen overnight. Fixing problems begins with honest observation. And we've seen in this series we've talked about, we got some things that need to be fixed. Here's the second one. Correcting wrong demands fearless conviction. When I came up with this application, I was thinking mainly in our own personal lives. It takes determination and conviction to change your life. Let me give you a principle. You will never change until the pain of remaining the same outweighs the pain of the change. In other words, you will never change until you get sick and tired of being sick and tired. And so you will continue in your mess and your chaos until you get to the point one day where you realize there's much more pain involved in living my life this way and having these sins and strongholds in my life than what it would actually take for me to change, to be the person God wants me to be. Correcting wrong demands fearless conviction. You can see this all through the book of Nehemiah. And then third, honest observation and fearless conviction must be tempered with authentic devotion to God. 
I told you Nehemiah was controversial, but he's not just some cranky old reformer. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he hated compromise. But you go back and read the book, you know what you'll find? He has a heart for God. He was just incredibly devoted. So I'll leave you with this question. How's your devotion to God? Are you as passionate about your relationship with God as you're your finances and building a financial kingdom, big retirement? Are you as passionate about your relationship with God as you are maybe your career? Are you as passionate about your relationship with God as you are your favorite sports team? Are you as passionate about your relationship with God? This will hurt a little bit as you're politics. I mean, think back over this past week. How much time did you talk about God and how much time did you waste talking about politics? Let me give you a principle. You will become what you're passionate about. Do you want to be torn up inside? Watch the news. Do you want to be divided? Watch the news, right? What are you passionate about? What are you focusing on? You will become what you're passionate about. If you want to become like God, you're going to have to become passionate for God. That's the book of Nehemiah. Next week, we're going to look at the life of Esther. One of the greatest stories in the Bible. And you're going to see once again how God moved in the heart of another king, a pagan king, and how Esther, a woman so ahead of her times, saved the Jewish nation. You don't want to miss it. God, thank you for these lives. I often wonder, Father, if you were still recording the Bible, what would be in it? Would the story of America and its birth be in it? Would the tragedy of 9-11 be in it? Would World War II be in it? Would we be in it? Father, I love these Bible characters because when you paint them, you paint them as they are warts and all. And we get to learn that these aren't perfect people, but they're people who passionately desired you. David was far from perfect, but he passionately desired you. Nehemiah wasn't perfect but he was passionate about his relationship with you. If we get nothing outside of this series, get us to that place. When we wake up, as we walk through the day, when we lie down at night, that our focus is on you. Our gratitude is towards you. Our praise is for you. Our complaining is to you because you can handle it. And you will stick closer than anyone ever could in our lives. We thank you for your faithfulness and your mercies that they're renewed every morning. (laughs) And that you're a great, gracious God. We pray these things in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We appreciate you joining us as we tackle issues facing our modern world from a biblical perspective. To make sure you don't miss a message, please take a moment and hit the subscribe button. Also, if you're new to Hope and want to check out what we're about and how to be a part of our community, 
Go to our next steps at gethope.net slash next. Let us know your story because we'd love to connect you.